just got off the phone a couple of minutes ago with uh, Bill Hansberger. <clears throat> Bill, uh, some of you will remember, is the director of Haven Ministries, a mission organization that we as Boone North Church help support. I'm on the board of that mission, and, and we have a board meeting coming up mid-June in Colorado uh, where Bill lives. Uh, uh, I was the last board member that he needed to call because the topic was, uh, are we going to go ahead and meet? And uh, are we going to do like a Zoom call or or can we meet in person, which uh, Bill would would rather because uh, it's a conversation that goes on for several hours as we walk through and hear reports from missionaries and those kinds of things. And so he was encouraging that, but but he was calling the board members to, to talk through it and and the uh, the reason why it's even a conversation is uh, because of what's going on around us. And especially if you've been watching the news or listening to podcasts, reading magazines, newspapers, or, or whatever your source of news nowadays, you can understand uh, and you might be pretty much confused about what's going on, what you should do about what's going on. Should I wear a mask or shouldn't I? One expert says, uh, wear a mask. Another says, no, they're harmful to you. In the beginning, we were told that masks, masks with this virus were, were pretty much worthless. And then later on, we were told, no, that's wrong. They're actually very helpful, and everybody needs to wear masks. Uh, we've been told this is going to be the worst pandemic to ever hit the world uh, in the beginning. And, and then some others are saying no, and so-called experts are saying no, this is going to be on par with other serious flu strains that uh, have we've dealt with as a nation and as, as a world. Uh, some They say we need to do these things because we need to flatten the curve. Then somebody else says, no, it's not about flattening the curve. We need to shut everything down for at least a year because this thing is going to rise again. Uh, some say, you know, you've heard churches can't open. Marijuana stores can. All this back and forth, you know, you get to the point you say, well, who am I supposed to believe? And I suspect, you know, if you're like me, it's it's kind of getting to you, you know. Uh, it gets a little frustrating, a little little uh, angering even. Uh, and if that's the case for you, uh, if you're that's kind of where you are right now, you'll be able to relate to the opening verses of the passage we're going to look at today in uh, Psalm 119. If you want to get in your Bibles, your devices, to Psalm 119, uh, we're going to continue looking through that chapter of the Bible and some things that the author of that chapter has to say to us. Uh, uh, and the, the passage we're looking at today uh, starts off with this statement. I, I hate double-minded men. You want to get to where it says that, go to uh, verse 113, because that's where we're going to start this morning. Uh, we're actually going to jump ahead uh, from where we left off last week. Uh, not because the verses in between aren't important, uh, but they, but mainly because they're pretty repetitive. He's repeating what he's repeated many times up up to this point already is that the word of God is important. Uh, uh, God's teaching, God's command, they shouldn't be neglected. Uh, spending time in God's word should be a priority in our life. Because it's it's where peace is found and protection and wisdom and even joy. That's been his mantra over and over again as we've been walking through this chapter of the Bible. Uh, he has found the Word of God to be the anchor for his life, the thing that he has attached himself to that uh, 
uh, that has walked him through. Even even the remember the author is in a very difficult situation at this time, and, and if it's David, which uh, I tend to believe, and a number of biblical scholars believe, then uh, then he is in the circumstances of Saul chasing him down and wanting to destroy his life, and so it's a tough time for him. So so go back to verse to to verse one hundred thirteen, and let's walk down through what he has to say. He starts off like I said before. I hate double-minded men. Uh, this is one of those spots where you could say in sarcasm, uh, how do you really feel, David, or or whoever the author is? But you get it, don't you? There's nothing quite as exasperating as dealing with something of, of great importance and not being able to get a straight answer. In fact, another way this could have been translated is, uh, double-minded people are enemies, which is true. Wouldn't you agree? They may not be purposeful enemies, but they're enemies not, not, nonetheless. The reality is they're enemies because, because they're double-minded, because we can't trust what they're saying, uh, because they keep going back and forth. They're going to do us harm. If someone doesn't come out with the truth, there's really great harm in in, in what could happen because we can't decipher what they're saying because they never say the same thing. And so that's what he's, why he's coming out so strongly here and saying, you know, I hate double-minded people. I hate people I can't trust. I can't trust their promises or, or the information they give. Uh, it causes me to question their motivation. And you hear a lot of that going on in our circumstances right now. The, for a while, people were just really listening to the expert, but now they're starting to question. They're starting to question what they say, what what because here at one point they said this and another point they said that. They're starting to question their motivation. Do they really have my best interest is in mind or or is there another agenda that they have? And and that's what this the writer here is saying. That's what he's discovered about certain people is uh, people that he's translated as double minded people is you just don't know if you can trust them, and that's a scary place to be. But in contrast, then he goes on in the second part of verse 100, uh, 113 with this statement, but, but I love your, speaking about God, I love your law, God. This is a contrasting statement. For, for all the reasons I hate a double-minded person who, who talks out of both sides of his mouth, I love God's word. Because I know I can trust it. I know God's motivations are, are wrapped up in my best and, and doing what is will bless me and bring me joy and health and, and strong character as we as we saw in last week's section. And, and so for all those reasons, God, I love your word. And for even more reasons is that. A, a double-minded person makes me feel vulnerable, like I'm not safe. They make me feel fearful, but, but God and you and your word, look at verse 14, are my refuge and shield. I put my hope in your word. He's discovered, first of all, that God and God's word are a refuge. What does that mean? Another translation says, God and God's word, they're, they're a hiding place. And, and perhaps if this is David writing, he's envisioning that cave that he and the men uh, hid him that one time to get away from Saul. 
uh, and, and to be protected from Saul when, when Saul was trying to kill him. He says, God, you and your word are like that cave to me. Perhaps you envision your basement when where you head to when you hear the tornado horn go off or or you, the news says to seek shelter, a place where you feel that you are safe or at least safer. When I was a kid, uh, my best friend Mike and I built a fort where, where we could hide from our imaginary enemies who were trying to attack us. But, but nothing's imaginary about David's situation here, if this is David or, or whoever the author is. This is real. He's got real enemies. He's got real individuals who are out to do him harm. And he said, I have discovered, God, that in your word and in, in, in you, I have found a place to hide, a place that I feel safe. Uh, but the reality is this, and, and he's going on with this as well. Sometimes we can't hide from our circumstances, can we? I mean, there are some situations where retreat is the best is the best uh, of the wisest decisions to make. Retreat, go to a place where you're safe. But sometimes we can't. Sometimes we have to wade into the battle. Or sometimes the circumstances don't allow for a hiding place. Uh, and he's saying, when, when that's the case, Lord, you're my shield. You're my protection. Even in the midst of those circumstances where I can't get away to a place where I can hide in safety, even when I have to stay in the midst of the battle, I, I God, have found that you are my protection. You're my shield. In fact, that's what he says next in verse 114. You know, some situations call for tree, retreating, finding a good hiding place. Not worth the fight. Wisdom makes that clear. But then there are times when that simply is not an option. And David frequently found himself in both types of circumstances. He had learned when he could to hide in God, that that was the best plan. He learned that other times he had to just trust God's protection because that's what the circumstances require. You know, I, I think this virus that we're up against at the moment has caused us to make similar decisions and, and responses. You know, we, we've decided at, at times that the best plan of action is to lay low, to shelter in place. But, but now we're trying to work through it, and our, our leaders are trying to work through, you know, is it time to move out and trust God's protection, trust his shield? Now, one thing's clear by this passage that is that the God and his word is where the answers are found in both situations. In fact, he goes on. Look at the second part of verse 14. He says, your word is where I find my hope. You see, and I recognize, Lord, that my future is in your hands. You know, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what wisdom seems to push towards hiding or because I can't hide, trusting your protection. One thing I do know, Lord, is that I have learned to, to recognize that my future is in your hands. I was having a conversation with a brother last night, and, and we were talking about this, and, and you know, this whole circumstances, and and, and what's going on around us and the, the different voices that are saying different things. And, and what in our conversation, what we both came down to, the final conclusion we came to was this. You know, regardless of what happens, I know that God has me covered. 
My future is in his hands. And really, the reality is my life is in his hands. I can hide when the circumstances call for it. I can move out when I need to trust when the circumstances call for it and trust his protection. But ultimately, this is what I know. My future God is in your hands. That's where I place my hope. Does all of this sound a bit mystical? Maybe not real world. You're thinking, well, yeah, I mean, you're just talking about words on a piece of paper. You can make those kind of things. Well, notice where the author goes next, verse 115. This is real world, world stuff to him. This is not just a, a scenario he's setting up. No, no, he's in the midst of it. Notice 100, verse 115. Away from me, you evildoers. David was dealing with real-world enemies, real scary stuff, enemies who were hoping to at the least destroy his life, and if they got their wish, to end his life. It would be easy in such circumstances to put God and, and his word on hold, you know, to say, God, yeah, I'm dealing with a crisis here. Uh, you know, I, I'm dealing with scary stuff. I'll get back to you when things settle down. But the author's vantage point, and if it's David, David's vantage point here was, God, I'm dealing with a crisis here, and I don't want it to distract me from you and, and doing what pleases you. Look look what he says in verse at the end of verse 115. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. He goes on in verse 16. Sustain me according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. What's he saying? God, you are the opposite of double-minded people that I was talking about earlier. You promise to sustain me, which means to brace me. You promise to hold me up when, when I'm too weak to stand on my own. You promise to sustain me so that I know, so I know you will. I trust you, God. I lean on you. But I also know that Things get tough, and if I'm not careful, I might take my eyes off of you. So, Lord, do not let my hopes be dashed. Really what he's saying here is, here is, Lord, don't ever let me be ashamed of trusting in you. He's not worried here, I, think, I don't think, about God's faithfulness. He's not saying that he's worried about whether he can trust God. He's worried that after telling people that he does trust God, his actions might say otherwise. He says, I don't ever want to do that, God. I don't ever want to be ashamed of the fact that I've said something but haven't lived up to what I say I believe and trust about you. You know, we're Christians. We Christians are pretty good about saying the right things, aren't we? Especially in the midst of, of hard situations. We're we're good at throwing out the cliches. Uh in and and you know, and it's not always, you know, sometimes we say it to other people when they're in a hard time, and it's easy for us to say to them, you know, well, you just need to trust God. But but the reality is we say it in the midst of our own difficult circumstances and scary times as well. You know, we'll say, like, I, I just, I trust God. I, I, I'm not afraid because I trust God. Uh, the author says, I've done the same things. I've, I've said the same things. He's saying, but God, here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that it'll be just words. And that the reality is, I will be afraid, and I will be anxious. And, and the reality is, even though I've said I trust you, I won't trust you. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to be ashamed of what I've said regarding you and your word. So help my words to line up with my, my inward feelings, 
my actions. Don't let me just be a mouthpiece. I, I want to live up to what I say that I really believe about you and your word. Look where he goes in verse 117. Uphold me, and I will be delivered. Always have regard for your decrees. I think that this is the author saying that he knows what, it, what he's up against is bigger than he is. And he knows that he will not be able to get through this based on his own willpower or his own strength or his own wisdom. Uphold means to strengthen. He's saying, strengthen me. God, God, be my deliverance. Whether I make it through this time or not totally depends on you. I know I can't make it on my own. But you've promised to take care of me. So, Lord, I'm promising to look to you and not some other direction for the answers for, for my protection. Regard actually means to gaze upon something. So he's saying, I'm going to gaze. I'm going to look to you and your word for the answers for, for my protection and ultimately my deliverance, God, because I know you're the deliverer. There's nothing I can do about this. It's too big for me. But you can, and I trust you. But here's the alternative. Look at the last few verses. The Verse 8, 118 and the first part of verse 119. He says, you reject all who stray from your decrees. Their deceitfulness is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you have discarded like dross. Uh, reject, where he says, you reject all who strayed from your decrees. It means to make light of something, to toss it away, to ignore. Uh, it's interesting, uh, I think. We who are followers of God, we sometimes get really worked up about those who speak out against God and his word, or, or contradict God and his word, or, 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 uh, or make light of God and his word. But, but how does God respond to those folks that have that kind of my, mindset or, or speak those kinds of words who, or who, who step out in op, opposition to God and to God's followers? It's saying he just ignores them. He doesn't get worked up, all worked up about it. In fact, he, he makes light of it because he knows what he knows is the path they're heading down will eventually say all that needs to be said. It eventually, their words are going to prove vain. The path they're heading down, the fact that they're trusting in other things besides God, are is eventually going to be shown for what it is, a, a wrong direction, empty words, uh, because they're heading in a direction that isn't going to work out. Or or as he puts, as the author puts it, it's in vain. But it's interesting how he says this. He says their, their deceitfulness is in vain. It kind of reminds me of the Apostle Paul's statement in Romans 1, where he says that, in, that in fact, everyone knows there is a God. There's a, there is so much evidence in even creation itself that, that really in, in everyone knows in their heart there's a God because the, the design of what we see around us points to a designer. That's the reality, even, even those who try to deny it. But, but the reality is, is, and what we find is that there are people who are actively opposing God, who say they don't believe in God, who who, who say his his plan won't work, and trusting him is a is a waste of time, and 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 he's saying it's all in vain. Their deceitfulness is vain. 
<coughs> they're fooling themselves. Uh, like I said, we sometimes get so worked up and waste so much energy fretting about those folks who were out there verbally opposing God, uh, who are making light of his word. But God's telling us here, don't, don't waste your energy on that. Those folks have a limited amount of time to see that God's heart for them and respond to the truth. And, and if they don't, as he goes on, he says, all the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. That should never be what we hope happens. It's certainly not God's heart for them. But it's a reality. There is only a limited amount of time that those, those who stand opposed to God and his word have to change direction, accept God's offer. And he's saying, don't get worked up about that. In fact, instead of getting worked up about them <clears throat> and, and thinking you have to uh, address every wrong statement they make and counter every wrong perspective that they put out there, he says, really, do this. Keep track of really what's important, and that is trusting God yourself. And hopefully they can see the difference it makes in your life and they'll want to desire, they'll desire a relationship with him as well. And I think that's what has, remember, you follow David. If this is David talking, think it through if you've ever looked at it. And if not, go back and, and read through that period of time when God, Saul was chasing him. And he had several opportunities to, to respond in kind to Saul's evil actions and words against him. But he never did. And, and I think that's probably because he had this perspective. He was trusting God. He was trusting God's word. And so he knew that it wasn't up to him to try to, to uh, get even with Saul. He was leaving that to God. In fact, his contact with Saul in those circumstances was usually very gracious, was usually trying to get Saul to be reasonable, to turn back in his relationship to God. So he concludes the psalmist at the end of verse 19 and 20 with this. Therefore, I love your statutes, God. I love your statutes, God. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. He says, I'm not afraid of my circumstances. I'm not afraid of my enemies. I'm not afraid of double-minded people. I'm not afraid of all the different versions of, of what people say is true and what should be done and what shouldn't be done. I'm, I'm not afraid of this virus. Thing I'm afraid of is that I might do something that moves me away from trusting and reverencing my God. Something that will cause me not to trust his word in the middle of my circumstances. That's what I'm afraid of. And so wherever you are in the midst of the confusing statements and and uh, perspectives that are, that are out there right now, wherever you are in the midst of your trying to make your own decisions about what you should and should not do, I think the message in here is don't give in to fear. Trust God. Ask him for wisdom, as as he said through his through Jesus' brother James. I don't if if when we're in doubt, ask God for wisdom. He gives all to everyone generously. Ask him for wisdom. Recognize this that uh, he's in you're in his hands. He's got you. Don't be afraid. Because He's got your life covered, and he will take care of you. Do what you think is wise based on what you know, and then trust God. I think that's the message. So, Father, that's that's what we want to do. You know, 
we're in the midst of a, a lot of confusing voices saying a lot of different things about our circumstance, this virus, about how we should live life at this moment and what we should do and should not do. And, and Lord, so we need wisdom. Uh, help us to find that wisdom in your word. In, in passages like this that we just walked through together, that in there we will find uh, some direction. We'll be reminded that we don't have to be afraid or anxious, that, Lord, we can trust you. The fact our life is in your hands. It's not even in our own hands. Uh, it's in your hands. And so we want to rest in that. Well, we don't want to get worked up about things that we just shouldn't be worked up at. In fact, by doing so, we, we might make make uh, uh, our words sound empty because we told people we trust you. And, and then it'll look like we haven't trusted you. So, Lord, protect us from that. And if protect us from anything or anyone that might choose to do us harm so that we can live in a way that points other people to you. That's our prayer, Lord. Thanks for allowing us this time in your word together. Thank you for having our best at heart. And thank you for being there for us, that we can lean on you. You can and will and want to be our strength. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.